Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger, along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum, and we're officially into the offseason. Uh, we've got a couple pieces of news, and I'm sure if we uh, had nothing else to do, we could really try and stretch this out, um, but uh, we don't. We have, uh, we're going to start our rankings for top 20. We're doing top 20 this year. Um, that might change depending on position group and stuff, but figure top 20 centermen, what the hell. Uh, that's where we're going to start. We'll do uh, probably wingers. We usually just combine those two uh, because trying to figure out who's a left and who's a right is way too hard. So there'll be a wingers, goalie, defenseman as well uh, in the upcoming weeks as we get into August here. And then by the time we're done that, it'll honestly be early, mid, early to mid-September and we'll probably have a guest or two on and get ready to start previewing the season, uh, which is Kind of crazy to think about how quick of a turnaround that is. But uh, before we get into our top 20 center list, uh, let's get to some signings that have happened this week. Uh, let's start with a pair of goalies, Carter Hart and Igor Shosturkin. Um, both signed new contracts. Uh, goalie ones are so hard to to break down. Uh, but let, let's start with the, the one that, uh, oh, and Samsonov signed as well. So there's three. Um, let's start with the first one, and I believe it was Carter Hart. Uh, maybe that was the last one, actually. He signs a three-year deal at $3.9 million, just a tad shy of four, basically. Um, okay, bet, I guess. I mean, he really struggled last year, but um, I don't know how to feel about this one, Chase, to be honest. And What are your thoughts on it? Did they give a 22-year-old a legacy contract? Well, so, like, I, this is why I'm not really sure on it, because I think – if their thought process is we think Carter Hart is going to bounce back and be better over the next three years, which I don't think is that bad of a bet. Like he looked good in his first year, mediocre last year and brutal this past year in yeah, 50. Like an over under for his save percentage at 900. I would take the over. Yeah. But like, if your bet is he, we think he, or we feel very confident he's going to get better. Why hedge it? Like, you may as well try and get an extra three years onto this contract if you're that confident he's going to be good. Yeah, like if you're going to do it, do it. And if you're not confident, give him a one-year prove-it deal, you know? Yeah, I thought this had one-year prove-it deal written all over it. There's a chance we're looking back in three years and saying, like, oh, of course, goalies are super random and they signed a guy who was considered the best prospect in the world to a three-year deal at a low AAV and it looks like a steal, but there's also a chance they just signed the worst starting goalie in the league last year to three years by four million. It looks horrible. Yeah, and I guess that's kind of where the hedge comes in, right? Is like you don't want to completely double down. And if you know he is a really good goalie over the next three years, you'll take that and just pay him his eight million or whatever for five years after when he's 23 or 25. But I don't know. Yeah, like it's just kind of the thing that kind of confuses me is it's like yeah i guess you're alleviating risk by making it a three-year deal where it's like as long as he's literally not just what he was this year and he gets a little help it'll probably be a move and it'll always be a movable deal there will always be a guy willing to take on a 24 year old who had the pedigree cutter heart did um but like yeah but it's just kind of like stuck in the middle where it's like it's not really enough term for it to ever truly be a steal of a contract and like if it is like Best case scenario, obviously, he's a very, very good goalie. You have to repay, but like, I don't know. This this contract just kind of feels like the the Flyers don't really ever get a super win out of it, which doesn't seem like the most ideal contract to sign, you know? Yeah, and it just feels really unnecessary. Like he was literally the worst starter in the league last year. 
Yeah, he was like god awful. I don't know where the twelve million dollars was coming from for an RFA that was the, like the worst starter in the league last year, like or even close to it. But I guess good for them. They keep their prize prospect. And to be fair, it is easier to be hard on him because we saw him fail miserably in the NHL when most goalies haven't even gotten like an AHL sniff at that age. Yeah, exactly. Like we're going to get into a goalie here who's now 24 and Ilya Samsonov and even Shesterkin who had a great rookie year at 24, 25 years old, you know? So like Carter Hart, it, it is important to remember how young he is. And while it is true that I think, especially even goalies peak earlier than people want to say they are, we have seen multiple goalies go into their early thirties and be very effective. So it's not like this guy's got a three-year window before he's just absolutely shit or anything like that like it's reasonable enough to expect that he can keep growing and become at least not the absolute worst starter we that is in the league as low of a bar as that is right but i like that so if they do get an outcome where he's great he's still an rfa when they go to resign him again Mm -hmm. yeah it's not like they're walking him to free agency so like maybe that's why they just want to stay at three years so i don't know not a horrible deal by any means just little bit of a head scratcher, uh, definitely some risk there, but I, I think that's the risk you're going to take. Um, so uh, two other goalies, let's get to Samsonov one year, 2 million. This is kind of what I expected Carter Hart to sign. Uh, Samsonov obviously struggled with injuries last year, COVID stints as well. Um, he was part of that Russian group that uh, didn't seem to really please the Capitals. Um, uh, Kuznetsov definitely being another name in that group where I believe they each had two stints on the COVID list. Um, not great. He has shown a ton of promise, and like this feels like another reasonable bet to make, really. Yeah, I like this one. He's got kind of middling NHL results, but at 22 and 23, that's fine. He's got amazing priors, so this is a good guy to bet on. Yeah, I don't really have any more, much more to say than that, to be honest. And then the last one, Igor Shesterkin. Uh, four years, 5.6. This is a lot of money for a dude who has played like 30 NHL games, I want to say. This this is the biggest second contract for a goalie ever, correct? Ever, yeah. Ever in terms of AAV and total money, ever. Yeah. So what did you think of this deal? I mean, like, given what we've seen, he's only played – the thing is he's only played 47 NHL games, but he's looked good in those 47 NHL games. So, like – I guess, like, if you're going to try and lock him down, it's kind of the same thing, though, as, like, the um, uh, heart deal, where it's, like, if you're going to commit to the guy for four years at 5.6, why not just make it, like, a six by six? Like, if you're going to commit to the guy where there's so much risk at the end of this contract anyways, like, I'd almost rather see them just increase the risk, but also increase the chance that if this guy does hit and he's a top seven goalie for the duration of this contract you have him at two years extra for still what is a discount of a price yeah i like that mentality because i like this contract in the sense that if you're winning a cup you're chasing like tail like the extreme outcomes anyways and this is a guy who's very clearly positioned to be more likely than most people to be an extremely good goalie so i really like that in that sense and i like the mentality you're saying of like you need this to go right for your team to be really, really good. Anyways, you might as well increase the upside for you because the downside, like this contract's going to suck if he's not good anyways. 
Yeah, like it's gonna, yeah, it's gonna be bad regardless. So, like, if it, if I, who knows, maybe he would have been asking for another million and a half or something for two more years. But like, if you would have been able to in the position where it's like you could bump up two more years of term and for a very low price, I would have looked to do that because yeah, it's like you're in the window where you're kind of gotta not like completely go in now, but like the Rangers are quicker in kind of needing to go for it soon than they think. And if you can have a number one goalie locked down at a cheap price for as long as possible, that's obviously a massive, uh, massive thing. Oh yeah. They're, their number one forward is 29. Their number one center is 28. They got Fox who's young. Their number two defenseman is 27. Like their goalie is 25. They're absolutely in win now. Mode. Yeah. And as soon as like, you can argue maybe Lafreniere and Kako need another year maximum too, but then it's got to be like win right then. Right. So. Yeah. Especially because we know players peak from like 21 to 24, like Kako's in that range next year. Yeah. And not to mention even just the cost control of them too. Right. Like yeah. you got a couple more years of them on there. I mean, Kako will be off next year. I think off his ELC, but he probably shouldn't cost too, too much on like, a bridge if you wanted to do that. But, you know, if Lafreniere keeps developing, he will cost, you know, more than the 1 million that he is right now. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Like they're, they're a weird team, but I saw a lot of this deal took a lot of heat and rightfully so it sounds insane on paper to give a goalie with 47 NHL games, the biggest second contract ever. But I'm the just- thing is though, like, I don't know, like, it's the biggest contract ever because no one pays goalies on their second contract when they should be probably being paid then, you know, like, like this is a more reasonable bet to me than going and spending two years at Mike Smith at 40 years old or whatever, or like even just some of the contracts we see handed up like 33 year old goalies who really haven't been like Martin Jones got another contract this summer. Like, I don't know, like this to me is more reasonable of a bet than something like that. Exactly. Also, this guy like massacred the KHL in his early 20s. He had a 9.58 as a 23-year-old in the KHL. Yeah. Like, at some <laughs> point, I know NHL data is the most important, but that data, given his age, is as literally as impressive as you could possibly have it without being like Matt Murray putting up a 9.20 in the NHL or whatever. Yeah, and it's like I get he was on like the best team or one of the best teams, St. Petersburg SKA, but like still – not every goalie that plays there puts up a 937 as a 21 year old, 933 as a 22 year old, and 953 as a 23 year old. Um, and again, yeah, most people aren't even that age, and the goalies behind them don't, I don't think, put up anything close to those stats. So, um, yeah, like if there's a guy you're going to bet on, it's him, and I think it's a reasonable enough bet. Exactly. At some point, you need to get lucky if you're going to win a cup, and this is a contract where they're in a good position to get lucky. Yep, exactly. Um, let's go on. I'm going to skip there. Max Jones. And Maxine Comtois both signed the contract extensions, two and three years, pretty low AAV. Um, I'm going to skip those unless you have a steaming hot take on either of them, but they both seem pretty reasonable in terms of 22 and 23-year-olds, low AAV. So even if it goes poorly, uh, you know, they can walk away in a couple of years and it doesn't really hurt. But both guys kind of need to show that they are, uh, like both of them had a ton of potential coming out and have not really shown it yet. So I don't really have much of a take there unless you do. We can probably move on. I, I don't care at all about either of these players. Yeah, that's uh, pretty much. The sucks for them, but yeah. Yep. Um, all right. Uh, Jacob Brana also signed an extension with the Detroit Red Wings, which always throws me off. He is just like permanent capitals guy to me. 
Like, yep. obviously Ovechkin, but, like, if you're talking, like, second, third-tier players on that team, Verena will never not be a capital, I don't think, in my mind. But uh, three years, 5.25 per. Um, I think this is pretty reasonable. Again, maybe you would have liked to see another year or two of term. It takes him to those 28, uh, in which you're going to have to make a pretty interesting decision about whether you pay him again and uh, how long and for the term, but that's three years down the road. I think he'll probably outperform this contract, but I also don't think it's going to matter because this team is still probably going to be very bad for the next three years. Completely agree with all of it, which is why I really wish this contract was at least four years. So say everything goes to plan and they're picking Shane Wright first overall this year or somebody really, really talented second or third overall, whoever that may be, then you still have Varan on a sweetheart deal and the last year of their ELC, which is the first year you could realistically be competitive. Yeah. Like I, I don't really, yeah, I don't really justify signing guys into their thirties too often, but if it's one or two years, I like, I, again, this is kind of a theme with the guys who are 23 to 25. I'd almost rather see an extra couple years tagged on to the end and granted the player needs to agree on that too. And uh, if I'm young, Jacob Brenna, I absolutely want to uh, like get to where I'm 28 and can absolutely cash out like so many other people have. Right. So maybe the team didn't have too much of an option going into uh, arbitration and this is just what they settled on. But yeah, from a team perspective on a few of these, I think I would have been quite okay trying to just bet on an extra year or two. Yeah, ideally you do. But like you said, when they're going to arbitration, I assume that means negotiations were going terribly anyways. So maybe you have to assume, especially given how good Eisenman is at literally everything, that this was the best option. And he will almost certainly outperform this contract. So it's hard to get Uh, And two more names that we got here before we get into our list. Uh, Sam Reinhart's one, obviously traded to Florida. Wasn't sure what this contract was going to look like either. 25-year-old who uh, has leverage because they traded a a good goaltender and a first-round pick for him. But three years, 6.5, again, you probably would have rather see a little more term. But just in terms of considering, like, where Florida is, their window is the next three to four years here. I love this deal. Like, this is a steal for Sam Reinhardt over the value of this contract. I think this is the perfect contract for him and the team. It's different (laughs) – from the Detroit one too, because like Detroit's not going to be good when they're getting the value, whereas Florida absolutely should be hoping to be good over the next three years. Exactly. This is the shot. Like Barkov's 25. This is the perfect time. All right. And Ekman's 25 too. Like this is when they're going to be going for it. Sam Reinhardt will be like, I assume they're playing him at 2C. Not yeah. I would two. imagine he's going to be their 2C. Yeah. And by all accounts, he's going to be very good at it. And there seems to be something in the air in Florida that everyone goes there and gets better. So if Sam Reinhardt gets better, he becomes like an elite level player. Not to mention there's also doubling down on that, something in the air of everyone gets better after they leave Buffalo. So like this guy could just be a top five center for all we know. Yeah, like this guy has played at a 60-point pace in Buffalo, or like 60-plus points in Buffalo over the past three years. There's a pretty good chance. Now, I think he did get a lot of minutes with Eichel. Which is going to he be played hard. a lot of power play with Eichel for sure, yeah. But yeah, but, like, yeah, I don't, I don't think he's going to be like a ninety point center or anything like that. But yeah, I definitely think there's a possibility we look at the floor of Panthers at the end of this year and be like, oh, they do have really good center depth because they have like a top ten ish guy in Barkov and a top twenty ish guy or top definitely top thirty in Sam Reinhardt, right? So yeah, yeah, they're in a great position. 
Uh, and then the other one was Neil Pionk, who signs a four-year deal, $5.8 million. I don't mind this one for either side either. I think uh, it's crazy the jump Pionk has taken from when he was in New York to where he is with Winnipeg. Um, also, the other thing I wanted to touch on is even though we're probably not going to see their rookies again, I have quietly liked Winnipeg's offseason. I think they still lack a little bit more than maybe they leave up front, although Kristen Veselainen could be a guy who steps in there. But they've actually made their defense core like not the actively worst one in the league, and that could do wonders for this team. Yeah, I think they're in a position where like adding a bunch of mediocre guys is going to disproportionately help their XG relative to the players' impacts because of just how atrocious they were. Yeah, they're still missing like the stud number one, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. They could use, I don't even know, but like, it's an clear. Home type. Not, yeah, and it's, it's clear that that's not going to happen, but they have a relatively good committee in there, which is that's the first time that's been true in like three or four years. Yeah, since they lost, since that offseason where they lost Truba or traded Truba, lost Bufflin unexpectedly. And, as much as we prank on Tyler Myers, like he was a good third pair defenseman on that team. Right. So, um, but yeah, like the Pionk deal, I like, I think he's been a solid player. Um, You know, maybe it's a little more than what people were expecting, but um, you know, I would say he's right in that 5 million, like he's a solid second pair defender. And I think that's kind of 5.5 is 5.8 is kind of fair value for that. You know, he's a good two slash three, two or three up five on five and clearly does well on their power play. So. Unreal on the power play, yeah. To ask for that kind of money, and if you're going to use them like that, it's hard not to give it to them. So, uh, and like, they, they kept the term down too. You know, like it takes them till he's 30 years old, so it's not like they're going to be paying this guy until he's 34 or anything like that. Yeah, it seems perfect, and he might be able to cash out again. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I don't. Know. I, I thought that was a really good deal. I thought most of the deals signed have been understandable. Like there was. A lot less very just ugly deals after day one of the uh, um, free agency period. That's for sure. Yeah, that's a that's a theme every year. Yeah, like some teams should literally try and like just kidnap their GMs for that one day and just yeah. lock them in a room where they can't make any moves, and then be like, "Okay, you're allowed doing whatever you want now." And I think it would just be an insanely different uh, process that comes out. Yes, it would be very helpful. Okay. Especially for Vancouver. Yes, yeah, and yeah, maybe Edmonton too. Uh, let's get in the top 20 centers. I have some honorable mentions. A uh, couple guys, obviously, that just don't have enough data. Like um, uh, someone like Josh Norris, I thought had a really solid year this year. I don't think he's like, he definitely cannot. It wasn't quite good enough where it's like, I have to put him in the top 20 or anything. But if he has another year where he's really, really responsible defensively, it's like, okay, you at least can think about putting him as a top 30 centerman. Um, but those kind of names for me didn't really make it. Uh, I've already talked about one. Sam Reinhart was right on the edge for me. I would say he's in that 21 to 25 area. Um, Zabanajad is another name that I think I probably would end the top 20 up most years, but uh, has kind of taken a step back over the past couple of years. Uh, Philip Deneau was a third guy that um, I think he's gotten his love now, but definitely heading into the season or even before the playoffs wouldn't have been as known of a name. And then Anthony Sorelli too. I'm, I'm curious to see if you had him at all, because he had two amazing years playing down in the lineup with Tampa, where he was putting up like 13 goals above replacement. And then he got a bigger role this year and was like almost a negative player. So 
I left him off the top 20 just because of that. Uh, and then Kopitar is my last honorable mention. Uh, not what he once used to be, but still putting up points and some solid possession metrics to where he's just outside the top 20 for me. Yeah, that's fair. I have a couple of those guys kind of low on the list. One of the on, I had Reinhardt as a big honorable mention too. We talked about him before the show. I like Dylan Larkin a lot. It would be nice to see all the expected goals turn into goals for him, but that has yet to happen. So I got to leave him off the list. And then Sorelli, I didn't include. He kind of seemed like the guy where everybody was like, oh, like he seemed like a less extreme version of Braden Point, where mm-hmm. everybody was like, oh, he grades out so well on our models. But like there was clear, like Braden Point's on a whole nother level. But there's clearly something going on in Tampa Bay where Anthony Sorelli wasn't actually like the seventh best player in the entire league or whatever. And then he got exposed much higher in the lineup this year. And I don't think that's super surprising. Yeah, exactly. So, um, Start with 20. I mean, you talked about this off air too, because you asked if I had him as a winger or a centerman. I have him at 20 because I think it's almost unfair to call him a center at this point, but I am for this one year. Steven Stamkos still very, very good when he plays. Can't really stay healthy all the time. Um, but, and you know, I, I don't think he's even top four most important on that team anymore, but uh, he's still a very good player when he is healthy. Um, and, you know, he maybe doesn't drive his line as much, but he's still got so much shooting talent. It almost doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. I had him 18, same reason. Because, like, statistically, like, his war and stuff is all still amazing. But at this point, I think anybody who's watched Steven Stamkos can be really confident that if you put Steven Stamkos in, like, Jack Eichel's shoes, the results would probably be atrocious. He's, like, the perfect passenger, though. Yeah, exactly. So it's definitely a thing where it's, like, he's still very good, but it really helps that he is on a very good team, too. Um, And, again, like, 20 is not – I feel like with these lists, sometimes people get absolutely just like pissed off or it's like, how can you have my favorite player 14th or whatever? It's like, well, calling him the 14th best centerman in the best league in the world is not an insult to anyone, you know, like. Exactly. Also, just the way talent is distributed in the NHL. If you have an easy time ranking guys after like eight, like you just don't eight or 10 or somewhere where that line is you actually just don't understand how the talent is distributed because it's so close. Um, I had a hard time ranking the guys from four to eight. Like, Yeah, that's that's more than fair. There's a distinct one, obviously. I think there's a pretty distinct next tier. And then after that, it goes a lot of ways because McDavid is – the gap between McDavid and two is far probably the size of whoever either of us have at two and like 15 or 20. Yeah, like, yeah, I would say, and we'll get to it, but it's always so anticlimactic when you get to the end and it's like, you think you would spend the most talking about like the first top player, top three or whatever, but it's like, what's there to say that everyone doesn't already know, you know, but um, yeah. all right. Who did you have at 20? At 20, you put him as an honorable mention. I debated doing that because he is a far, far worse play driver than I think the median person would realize, but he still is a great shooter. Mika's advantage of that. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, I would say he was for for a while there, he was like one of those classic guys where he would definitely be on like an analyticals person top 20 list and everyone would kind of like do a double take or whatever. Um, yeah. But yeah, his, his play driving has just fallen off so far over the past two years where I think he's still probably a, a number one center, but like I think he's closer to like 25 for me personally. 
Yeah, and that's more than fair. He's, it depends how much you weigh his power play impacts too and all that stuff. I remember in like 2018 when I would make player models, they were all super high on him. So it was cool to see him explode and kind of get the point totals and everybody realized he was that good. But it's like the Blake Wheeler point where by the time everybody realizes he's good, we've jumped the shark already and he can't drive play and he's not actually as good as the hype he's getting. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, I'll go to my 19 then. At uh, 19, I had uh, Jack Hughes here, actually, which is a, a fun one. Um, this is definitely more recency bias than anything else, but I'm trying to project forward a little bit going here too, right? Like there's a couple guys who are closer to 30 where you'd expect them to maybe take a step back. I expect Hughes to take a step forward, and he was very good last year. Yeah, depending on how much we're projecting forward, I love Jack Hughes here. I didn't didn't I would have had him as like an honorable mention or whatever because we haven't really seen it all come together yet. But he was fantastic last year, and it would not shock me if he's the guy who takes that like a Herculean jump this year. Especially with the influx of talent that they brought in, like they have uh, Dougie Hamilton obviously to pass him the puck now, but they also brought in Thomas Tatar, which should help that team miles. Um, but if anyone wants to know, like he was thirty eighth among all forwards in uh, goals above replacement or WAR last year as well. Um, and among centermen, I think he was closer to about 20. So he was right in that top 20 range. He doesn't really have the counting stats to, to back that up yet, but, um, he was just so dominant in, in my opinion on just like, what was just such a not good team that, uh, um, I'm kind of projecting forward a little bit here too, definitely in this one where I think he's still, he's grown every single year he's been in the league. And I, I definitely could see that happening again next year. Um, because everything he's shown so far has just been very encouraging. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me if he's in like eighth next year or something like ridiculously high relative to what people think of him right now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, take that jump into like borderline top 10. Maybe he's like 12 instead of like just barely 20 or whatever. Yeah, like the Eichel. I think Eichel's jump was on his year three too, correct? Yeah, it was definitely around there. For two years and he hadn't shown it yet. Everybody was like, what the fuck are you giving this guy 10 million for? And then the very next year he was like, boom, $10 million player. I can see Jack Hughes doing something like that. Yep, absolutely. Um, all right, who do you have at 19? I have a guy who gets, I think, underrated league-wide, even by me. I'm sure there's clips out there of me saying he's not – Vegas doesn't have one number one center, but I really like William Carlson. I, he was on my – so I made like a list of probably 30-ish guys, and he was on my original list but didn't quite make it. Yeah, that's fair. He's just kind of quietly pretty good at everything. He's not super flashy, but he gets the job done. And I think he's the perfect encapsulation of this range where it's like, you could have, like, I have this guy 19. If you told me you had him 28 or whatever, you'd be like, yeah, I get that. He's just kind of somewhere in this. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Like, it's one of those things, because I was looking at both him and Chandler Stevenson. The difference is Carlson has been like this kind of, place for like three years since he got to Vegas three or four years now right whereas like Chandler Stevenson had uh, one Mark Stone go on his wing and uh, had that giant bump that we've seen so many centers have so that's why I would definitely have Carlson above him too and uh, yeah Carlson made it further on the the list for me than Stevenson would have yeah and that makes sense not yeah he's not amazing but I think he's just quietly pretty good at everything that's all you can really ask for, for a guy that kind of uses like a platoony one C. Yep, exactly. 
Um, all right, and you had Stamkos at 18. Uh, my 18, yep. a guy I was even surprised was I had this high. His salary is uh, probably still a little aggressive for what uh, he's going to be, and maybe projecting forward, I could see him taking another step back this year, but I had Nicholas Backstrom up here. Oh, really? Yeah, he uh, has been shockingly still very good over the past. He was 10th in all centermen among points this year, which I would have never guessed. Um, now, a lot of that is still getting to play, obviously, on a great uh, – um, power play, but you know, unlike sometimes where you don't really give the credit, he's a massive part of that power play. Um, but he also had 11.3 goals above replacement, which for uh, forwards this season ranked um, 22nd. So, uh, and and he's been like that for like three straight years. Where I was looking over like the past two or three years, he's been just kind of a top 20, 25, 30 guy in goals above replacement for forwards, and. He's still putting up the stats, and I know he's not quite the play driver he was in his peak at five on five, but um, yeah, I have him at 18th. Yeah, that's fair enough. I knocked him pretty heavily because of the play driving, but he is ruthlessly efficient on the power play, and he still very clearly does drive goals for him. So I think it's a perfectly reasonable one. Defensively responsible. Yeah, and like I I was thinking too, because for for Backstrom, I was like, oh, I thought he's fallen off for that more, but like you can argue in his peak, he was easily a top 10 center, like never really the top three or anything, but definitely in that like five to 10 range for a couple of years. Oh yeah. And it would, depending on how much weight you put on the power play, because him and Ovi were so like hilariously good there together. You could have argued him like really, really high, just behind like the Sid and taste here. I would think at some point. Yeah, exactly. So I like 18 is technically a drop off from that. So yeah, that's fair. Backstrom's very good. Clearly a 1C still, if not. Uh, yeah, and I mean, and that's the thing about, like, all the way up to, I would say, 15 or 15 probably on this, maybe 16, where it's like any of these guys could be, they're all 1Cs for sure, but they could anywhere from, like, 16 or 17 to 30, basically. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The, the range is really heavily at this at this point, still. So. Yeah. Um, I'll go with my 17. Uh, this is a guy that we – Thought should have got some Selkie love this year. I believe he did. And that's uh, Jared, uh, Jared, Joel Erickson. That's a spicy one. I like that. Again, I think it's probably a little projecting forward, just given his age and, you know, what we saw with, out of him when, you know, they add guys like Kaprasov to this team that he can actually do stuff. But, um, yeah, he was one of the stronger defensive forwards in the league. He was had a really good offensive year ter- in terms of uh, what we've seen in the past out of him too. And he was driving play at a very, very, very good rate. Like even for Minnesota, his expected goals for per 60 is just through the roof. So um, I, I don't know. I, I think he is uh, probably, again, not when you think of Minnesota, they don't really have the true one C, but I think Eric Sinek is that kind of range where you can use him as a platoon guy. And if you have even a guy who's like 35th behind him, you're set up all right for your team. I would love to know if he is actually any good on the power play. Because if he is, he could be in like, like he's a good enough play driver. He could be in that Ryan O'Reilly tier. Yeah, absolutely. Where it's like, yeah, he just needs the counting stats to back it up. And those are, those aren't going to come five on five, but. No. Yeah. Cause the question is, is he Ryan O'Reilly or is he Philip Deneau? Yeah. I'd say, cause it sounds kind of stupid to have a guy who had 30 points last year in my top 20, but I mean, 30 points in 56 is a short season, but still, yeah, like that, that's the big difference where it's like, 
can he just drive play and never finish? Or is he going to be able to put up some points and really be a difference maker for you? Yeah, that's a good pick. That's projecting forward too, because he's so young. Yeah, he's 24. I don't know if he's going to get like miles better, but he's definitely not going to get any worse next year, I don't think. He's definitely on a better side of the aging curve than a guy I had at 17. <laughs> Which, uh, let's hear it. He was low-key pretty good on a pretty awful team on Zekopadar. Yeah, so I had him obviously as an honorable mention. Uh, I, I think 17 is kind of a fair range for him too. Uh, I was shocked at how good he was too, to be honest. Yeah, like he was uh, perfectly good. I think not that like he's at the age where you don't really expect him to get better, but insulating him with talent for once for the first time in half a decade should help his aging curve like not hit the ground as fast as it otherwise would have. Yeah, and he's another classic where it's like, we're surprised he's there, but I think the narrative of just how much he's fallen off is just overblown because, again, he was a legitimate, like, top five centerman for his in, in that cup era, right? Like when yeah. they were going on constant cup runs where it's like falling from a top five to 20th or 17th or whatever is a big enough gap in this league. Exactly. Cause like, I'm sure he did have a year where he was like the third or second best center on the world at least once. So it is pretty far to fall, but when you have that far to fall from, you can still be ridiculously effective even afterwards. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's a good pick. Uh, 16, I had Mark Shifley. Um, I think in terms of just the common uh, atmosphere, people would say, are you kidding me? He's that low. Uh, fifth in centerman for points last year. He just, I, I think, I still want to believe that this is more a product of his coach than him. He just doesn't quite drive play to the degree that you would want to see for me to put him any higher than this. Yeah, I left him off because... Like, he is an average at best play driver. Yeah, he's good defensively. Like, he's not like a selkie candidate defensively, but oh, I sorry, I should say he was good this past year defensively. He's been atrocious in years past, but yeah, and that's like his sort of aggregate results are bad enough defensively to take him off the list because, like, if you're going to be as bad as he is defensively over the past however many years, like you better be Leon Dreisaitl. Yeah, and then that's fair. And like he's again, he had sixty three points in fifty six games, so it's not like he did nothing nothing this year. But part of me also just thinks like if he got a better coach that had a better system, those play driving numbers might look a little better too. Yeah, he's a funny one because they could get a new coach that uses him less in empty net scenarios. His points could go down and people could complain, but he could get become a way better hockey player if he just starts driving play as well as we think he should be able to. Yeah, 100%. So, um, I, again, I think he's still definitely in the range of 1C. It's just probably – I think, honestly, in the common public, he would probably be closer to 10 than he would anywhere near 20. Um, and I don't think he's a top 10 centerman at all. I couldn't – I was going to debate him putting him a little lower. I could not put him above any of the 15 that are coming up here. Yeah, that's more than fair. I uh, I think he was like two on a bunch of lists when people did the best North Division rank. Or no, it wouldn't have been two. Sorry, in the top five for the North Division rank. Some people had him like, yeah, some people had him like three or four, yeah. which was wild to me. Like people had him as like better than Patterson or even Dreisaitl. It's just like, what? Yeah. So, yeah, I uh, I don't I don't think he's that good, but I definitely think there's um, – 
potential there in terms of like, he's clearly a very skilled player. Um, but yeah, we'll see if it all works out. And I mean, I don't think Maurice is leaving anytime soon though. So that's kind of the unfortunate part about it. Yeah. I think Maurice got that lifetime contract there. Basically. Yeah. Uh, who do you have at 16? 16. He was really bad last year. Well, relative to what we expect of him. And he is at the age where the injuries have mounted up, but I still think he's been so good. So recently that I have Evgeny Malkin here. See, I left him off my list. I definitely think he's kind of like that one C as well. But, yeah, he was just so bad last year I didn't put him on. Yeah, that's that's more than fair because – and the injuries, like he's at the age where he might just be cooked. But also I think if Malkin comes back healthy, he could be way better than almost anyone on earth still. Yeah, I mean, yeah, peak Malkin, it's tough because it's like it's as recently as like three years ago we saw absolute peak Malkin. And yeah, then even 1920, he was a hilariously good offensive player. Yeah. So it, it's just tough where it's like, okay, can he find that bill of health or is he getting too late into his thirties where this stuff is actually going to keep up with him? Yeah. And it's, it's sad to see, cause there's a chance he actually is cooked, but maybe it's just cause I love Malkin that I have him. I have more faith in him. Yeah. I say it wouldn't shock me if like next year we're doing this list again. It's like, Oh yeah. He was just like, the 10th point. best centerman again, or point point per game, like didn't really play much defense, but was an insane offensive driver. And he's back up in the top 10, but I, again, it probably wouldn't shock me either. If it's neither of us even think about putting him on this list because he's a 34 year old who has played a very tough style of game over, over a decade and a half. Yeah. If he's in and out of the lineup next year, that's going to be tough to come back from at his age. Yeah. 100%. Um, so we're into the top 15 now. Um, to me, this is where, the tier really cut off. Uh, I'm going to be curious to see if we have any different people uh, in this top 15. But to, to me, it went, it was easy to pick one, pretty easy pick uh, the two and three, maybe not the order. Uh, and then about four to six was tough. Uh, seven to 10 or 11 was tough and 12 to 15 was tough. So we're really getting into some tiers here. But I think there, to me, there was a pretty clear top 15 anyways. Uh, I'll get it started with a guy like all, there's so many players on this list where I wrote them down and it's like, this feels way too freaking low for this dude, but I don't know how I can put him above anyone else. And that's Sebastian Ajo at 15 for me. Yeah, I have him two spots higher, but I have I have it like color coded by tier, and Ajo is in this exact tier for me, just in the middle of it instead of at the bottom of it. Yeah, and, and again, like that's kind of fair. Like it's for me, it was between about four guys from 12 to 15, I want to say. Uh, maybe three guys from 13 to 15 here where it's like, yeah, 13 was definitely the high range. I thought about putting them. Um, if, if you lean into play driving a little heavier, I think he definitely can go up. Uh, he was eighth among centermen in points uh, this past year. He drives play very well. Um, goals above replacement doesn't, uh, at least the uh, twins model doesn't love him quite as much, but um, very good player overall, obviously huge part of Carolina's success in the recent years and a clear number one. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of weird to see him relatively low on the war models because he's an amazing play driver who has fantastic point totals. Like that seems to be the exact kind of guys who show up near like the top five of these war models. Yeah, absolutely. And like uh, his defense hurts him a little bit. And but, you know, also he just he hasn't really he plays like he drives play well on the power play, but his goals haven't gone really through the roof on the power play. So I'm wondering if that's what holds him back maybe by goal, like war models a little bit. 
Yeah, and that could be. And that's kind of been an ongoing problem in Carolina for a long time, is it not? Yeah, like they've never I'm trying to think the last time they had like a dangerous power play you were scared of. Yeah. I can't really think of anything, especially because they were irrelevant for so long before like three years ago. Yeah, me neither. Um, so you had him at 13. Who did you have at 15? I had John Tavares. Yep. Okay. I had him at 14. So right in the same tier. I wondered if we were going to have Tavares in the same spot, but one spot apart definitely uh, sounds about right. Still, he had a bit of a bit of a down year last year, but he's his down year was still very effective. He's been ridiculously good very recently. And for such a long period of time, I still feel very comfortable having him here outside. Like, I think at John Tavares, this is that 15 spot. Everyone below him I have as just a complete crapshoot. I could swap him with any of your guys and see it. But John Tavares starts the real tier for me. Yeah, and that's exactly where Ajo was for me. And, yeah, it's, it's hilarious. His down year was 50 points in 56 games. Like, yeah. And, and, like, and, and where like the power play was like brutal for half the, over half the year. Exactly. The power play was awful. And he had like still – good enough offensive numbers at five on five and everything like the fact that that's his down year is ridiculous yeah so um obviously that injury is super scary um at the end of the playoff or the game one of the playoffs there but hopefully he's okay and can bounce back but uh yeah i had him at 14 for the exact same reason where it's like he's definitely taken a clear step back from that like three to seven range when they signed him as a free agent but he is still very much above the guys i think that we had a little lower on this list and until he really takes a full step back in production as well, I think that's kind of where his spot's going to be. Exactly. Just right in this area seems perfect for him. Uh, who'd you have at 14 then? 14, I have a guy who war models love, but his honest shooting percentage relative to how well he's driven play still scares the hell out of me, Elias Patterson. See, I have him a little higher. I have him probably, I'd say like a half tier higher. Um, Mostly because I, I think he was injured this year and people kind of forget how good he was. But um, yeah, this is a fair one in terms of definitely concerns about if he has the shooting percentage or not. Yeah, because like the, the on-ice shooting percentage relative to his actual ability to drive chances, it's not impossible that that's real, but he needs to be like, peak Sidney Crosby level of driving on ice shooting percentage for him to actually be as good as the war models suggest, given his relatively mundane play driving abilities. And that's relative to other one C like he is good at it still, but. Yeah. Like if like he played 26 games this year and still finished 59th among forwards and goals above replacement at 8.1, which is tied with John Tavares, by the way. Yeah, like that's how much the, like the war models love him, and that, and like I think that does speak to just how damn well he drives play, which is why I have him higher up. I won't say quite where because I can make my case for him, but yeah, it's definitely there. It's not like he's the perfect player. There's definitely concerns, and um, I you know he's one of those guys where I really hope he can get a clean bill of health this year because I I do think there's potential for him to just like light up the league, and next year we're going oh yeah like we were way too low. Oh, yeah. There's another year of data suggesting his ability to drive on ice shooting percentage is real. We could out and as he, as long as he stays at least good or say he takes a huge step drive and play, which wouldn't be out of the ordinary for a guy as young as he is, keeps that insane penalty differential. He could legitimately be like five next year. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, at 13, I had a guy that, uh, again, stats people love, war models, pretty, uh, I'd say pretty high on. He took a bit of a step back, I think, this year, along with his whole team. And maybe, you know, it's age, but maybe it was just his team. Uh, I have Ryan O'Reilly at 13. Yeah, I have him a couple spots higher, but this is right around Ryan O'Reilly. He still drives play pretty well. Like he was really uh, responsible defensively. Um, Obviously not absolutely dominant, but uh, good on the power play as well. Uh, He had 9.1 goals above or nine goals above replacement. Sorry, which um, I want to say ranked about 30 something uh, this year among forwards. Uh, Let me pull it up. Uh, 42nd. So uh, probably around, you know, 25th or so among all centermen, but um, also, again, like I mentioned, the, the team took a big step back this year, too. And, you know, maybe some of that's built in there. Uh, he was still ninth among uh, all centermen in points with 54 and 56 games. So he his step back was still a point per game player uh, who was defensively responsible and um, didn't completely drive play offensively, but didn't not do it either. You know, so. Yeah, exactly. Just. The coaches went dream of a one C. Very responsible defensively puts up a ton of points. Never takes penalties, which gets can be underrated because when you're playing really good players like he is, it's pretty difficult to do that. I love Ryan O'Reilly. Yep, absolutely. Um, we're into the top 12. Who did you have at 12? At 12, I had Matt Barzell. Hey, there we go. There's the first one on the Thanks. list. I also had Matt Barzell at 12. I would love to have Barzell higher. Like everything about him seems like he should be like six. This, this was the classic. I can't have him at 12, but how do I put him above anyone I have in front of him? Yeah, exactly. It felt too low because you watch him. He's clearly insanely talented. There's the what if of like, what if he played on a team? Like, what if this guy played on the Tampa Bay Lightning? Oh, like, yeah. You'd be shocked if Barzell and Point switch spots on all these lists in an alternate universe where one plays on the Lightning, where they, where they flip teams. Not even a little bit. No. Yeah. Like... And, and I think this year he made – well, the Idols this year made a step in being, like, analytically friendly as well in terms of, like, how models view them and stuff. Because, um, you know, for a couple of years they, they were just getting by on nothing but, like, expected goals. And even sometimes it was just goaltending, really. Like, this year they got closer to at least, like, playing a style where even the models kind of were like, oh, yeah, this is, like, a sustainable or more sustainable way to play. And – it's a good reminder that they finished fourth in their own division. And that's kind of right where you expected them. Right. But yeah, Barzell had 9.9 goals above replacement, right? 35 among all forwards, um, you know, closer to like 15 for uh, all centermen. He was up there in points for a team that doesn't score anything at all. Uh, he ranked, uh, where was he? Maybe he was a little lower. And I thought, um, Jesus, I, uh, I've missed him anyways. Um, he, he had like for, for a team that, uh, yeah, they don't really score all that much. He did a lot of the heavy lifting on offense, um, putting up 45 points in 55 games, uh, where again, that doesn't necessarily pop off the page. He was 20th among all center. And they even have like JT Miller listed as center, which I, he's not a center. Um, <laughs> at least he's the winger. So he's a, probably close to like top 15, but, um, yeah, he's just so good. And again, he's one of those things where it's like, yeah, if he gets an environment or, if it ever comes a time where like the Islanders open it up a little more, I could easily see him having like the point totals where it's like, he just can't not be top 10 or whatever. Exactly. And also just like his power play results are so aggressively mediocre for a guy this good. And we know 
I'm pretty sure there's an old article that like the most predictive thing on the power play is your ability to enter the zone with control. And Barzell's like literally the best at it in the league. That makes me even more confident that if this guy just played on the Tampa Bay Lightning power play instead of the New York Islanders one, he'd be like a 95 point forward over a full season and he would just pop off the page. Yeah, even his RAPM for the power play this last year just screams no shooting talent around him because his expected goals four per 60 and Corsi four per 60 are all over a standard deviation above. And then his his goals four per 60 are negative. So it's just like, oh, yeah, that's probably not him that is uh, doing that or driving that on purpose. And that's been the exact same way and even more aggressive over the past two seasons. So exactly. I assume it's not the most talented player on the team by a mile's fault that the power play is so mediocre yeah exactly so um who did you have at 11 then that was my o'reilly oh right okay um so you have your you're up to the top 10 then right yeah perfect okay and then i have uh i had sean couturier at 11 um again another guy where it's like i wanted to put him higher i just couldn't like I, I was going to put in maybe a slot higher. Him and the guy I have at 10, I think, are pretty flippable in terms of um, they're both kind of the same style. But obviously, Couturier drives – pardon? Is it Bergeron? No, I have Bergeron pretty high on this list. I'm not going to lie. Fair enough. Um, it's, uh, it's Barkov that I have at 10. Um, and Barkov is more just because, again, like I felt like he was overrated going into this year, and then he was like – just unreal this year to the point like where what everyone thought of him as like a top 10 center. But I, I don't know if I'm comfortable to say he's like a top six guy because he's only really shown it for one year. Yeah, that's fair. That's um, but as, as far as Katuria goes, obviously like one of the top defensive centermen in the league, uh, defensive players in the league, really. Um, again, he's kind of gets bitten by a not awesome power play where the goals four per 60 don't really pop off the page all that much. At least they didn't this year. Um, I just think he's a very good centerman who's going to be in and around that top 10 range for a number of years yet. Yeah, that's, I have one spot higher, but same idea. He's just so good at everything. Um, He doesn't exactly have the insane offensive upside to put him even higher on the list, but when you're that good defensively and still fantastic offensively, you get a very, very good centerman. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and then, yeah, so I bark off at 10. Um, again, kind of the same thing where it's like he, uh, this year he was just unreal. Like if we're going off this year, he was a top five centerman, but we just don't have the history of that. He had one really, really strong year, a couple years where he was good, but like, not amazing or anything, but that's when his kind of narrative caught up. And then this year it was like, he was like peak that suit for half the year. Yeah. This year Barkov was insane. So I think there's two guys we're going to have flipped because I have Bergeron 10. Okay. How high do you have Barkov? I, so I have these tier. I have Barkov leading the third tier at five. Okay. So we almost, I have Bergeron at six. Okay, so I figured we'd have him pretty roughly flipped. See, I penalized Bergeron a lot. He's still fantastic, obviously. But, like, Bergeron has the best context of anyone on this list by an absolute freaking mile. Yes, and that's why I I almost, like, if you're just – if you ignore teammates, I think there's an argument he could have been four. 
but yeah. you have to bump him down clearly. And yeah, I, I think there's a fair enough argument to bump him down even past like six. Like I, I yeah. think that I definitely have him at the higher range of things. And maybe it's more of like a legacy thing than anything else, because yes, he is playing with Marshan and Pasternak, which are absolutely two of the best line mates you are going to see on this list for anyone. Exactly. Cause like, um, relatively small samples things to shorten seasons. Like, did Bergeron, like, I still think Bergeron's fantastic. I have him 10. I love him. I think he was the second best player in the world at some point relatively recently. But did Bergeron really magically become able to grossly outperform goals for relative to his expected goals for near the his late 30s? Or did he, did Marshawn and uh, Pasternak just start popping off? And I'm leaning more towards the second one. Especially Pasternak. Like, I... I think yeah. most people have him as like a consensus top three, top five winger now, but like I almost still don't think he gets enough credit sometimes. There's a chance Pasternak is the best shooter in the league. Yeah. And like I'm pretty confident it's Matthews, but it actually might be Pasternak. The winger rankings are going to be so crazy because they're still just like the top like four or five just elite wingers that are absolutely like insane right and like Pasternak I think has to be up in that in that tier now oh absolutely he's one of those guys where even if he couldn't drive play to save his life his shot is just like he's just so clearly such an aggressive driver of on ice shooting that he just gets to rocket up the list Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, yeah, and uh, again, that's fair. I probably might bump Bergeron down a spot or two, but I had him at six just because um, he's just been still so good. He was 16th in points for centerman this year. Um, His goals above replacement have just been off the charts for the past three years again. Like, he continues to just be a play-driving god. And again, teammates are definitely going to affect that, but it's not like his his, um, individual numbers are brutal either. Um, and he had 16.7 goals above replacement, which is third in the entire league for forwards this year, only behind Connor McDavid and the goat Jared McCann. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, th- that hasn't been too much different in past years either. Like he's just been over the past three years for forwards. He has been um, a top 10 guy. I want to say uh, 14th actually. Um, and like, again, not shockingly, his teammates are right there with him. Bergeron's at 13. Uh, Pasternak, uh, the, the models didn't love Pasternak quite as much for the first year or two. Uh, he's at all the way down at 19, that goddamn bum. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like Bergeron's still obviously not peak Bergeron or anything like that. Um, and, and again, he's a classic where it's like he could have a year next year where it's just so clear that the, the wheels are coming off or he might not even be part of the top 20 or whatever, but um, given what we've seen over the past two or three years, I think he is still a top 10 centerman. Yeah, I agree with the top 10 thing. And also for what it's worth, there's so much credit to go around on that line because it is probably the best line in hockey still. And Bergeron still definitely carries it defensively. Yeah, for sure. Like he is a very, very solid defensive player. So. Yeah, I like that one. See, I have, we'll get, we'll get to it when we talk about uh the next guy I have that I, I haven't mentioned. Okay, so I have at nine here. We've already talked about he's on your list. This is where I have Pedersen. Um, yep. I'm leaning definitely a little heavier into like goals above replacement for this one. Um, uh, like they, the models absolutely freaking love him. Um, and oh, yeah. you know, even this year, 
I, I cited him as 8.1 last year, 23.7. And the year before that 17.9 goals above replacement. Um, so, you know, he missed all like half of last season and granted it, it was a shortened season. Um, but regardless, like he's still, despite having way less than everyone else, he's still sick in uh, goals above replacement over the past three years for all forwards. And um, other than Mark stone, he's played less than just about everyone in that time. I want to say so. It's uh, very impressive. And it's not like he has an amazing cast around him either. No, like it's not like he uh, actually, sorry, I, I got to go to all here. This is just separating. Um, yeah, no, it's not like he is just absolutely stacked with defense. He's still sick, um, but he has way less games played. Uh, but yeah, so it's not like he's got an absolutely just like stacked team around him. Like, I don't mind Vancouver's forward core, but he's definitely the one driving that most times. Absolutely. I just, like I said before, I penalize Patterson so much because the goals for are so aggressively different from the expected goals for. My, like, prior is to just always completely discount that. And for, like, that's a, like, that'll make me right 90 some odd percent of the time but you're going to miss on very specific players and like Pedersen might belong in that tier of players that I should be willing to just forgive that. But uh, I, I want one more season to see it for sure. And he's got to stay healthy too. That's the big thing I say. I just pulled it up. Finally, the games. So he's seventh among the past three years for all forwards. He has 165 games played anyone even remotely near him. The next one is Crosby at 16 with 175. Uh, and then Bergeron's got 180. He's up about five. So it's like just about everyone has a minimum 25 more. Some guys have all the way up to 40 games more played than him over the past three years. And the model still has him as like a top seven guy. So, um, you know, that's why I have him up at nine. I think, again, he's another guy. You mentioned it where it's like if you see another step of growth, he's going to go from like that nine to 14 range to like five really quick. Yeah, if his play driving numbers jump off the page, he goes into the not McDavid, but next best tier immediately. Yeah, exactly. So um, who did you have a nine? That was Mike Couturier. Couturier. Okay, perfect. Um, I think we, unless you have anything else to say on him, I think we've kind of covered him pretty well. Yeah, he's kind of a boring player to talk about. Like he's obviously really good, but he's not exactly the most exciting. No, the stuff he does good is makes the game boring, but that's why he's good at it, right? Like, wow. not, not even makes the game boring, but just like there's not, yeah, there's only so much you can go in about how great he is defensively. Yeah, and like his offense is like underrated because he drives play really well offensively, but he's not making highly real offensive plays, so it's not exactly flashy. Exactly. Um, all right, at eight, I had uh, Jack Eichel. Oh, so we matched on this one too. Nice. Uh, so what's that? I think that's two we've matched on now. Yep. Go us. Um, I, this is another one where it's like, this feels way too goddamn low for Jack Eichel, but I just, until again, until he's healthy and I really want to see him in a non-Buffalo spot to see where, how high he can go up. I just couldn't have him anywhere but eight. Yeah. It's and the injury. Like I didn't really know how to take that. So I just mostly ignored it. I would love to see what he would do in not Buffalo. Like he was over a point per game player on the Sabres last time we saw him like a fully healthy season. He's one of these, like if him and Bergeron flip spots, I'm very confident Jack Eichel would be a 125 point player. Yeah. Like, or him and Matthews. 
Yeah. Just like any, like if, cause his context is so bad relative to everyone else, even close on this list. And he's still so high. up. Yeah. It's like Sam Reinhardt, but even more juiced up where it's like, if the bad players we see leave Buffalo can somehow even get good, like the players we thought made Buffalo shit, like, is there a limit to how good the good, the few good players we've seen be on that team can get if they leave that place? Exactly. And especially because like all the Corey Schneider's micro stats, like with the zone entries and stuff, like by all accounts, he just does absolutely everything. Yeah. Like, and like you, like I don't watch too many Buffalo games, but the few that I have watched over the past couple of years, it is so obvious that that is true too. You know, like obviously you don't want just confirmation bias, but it's like, you watch one period of a Buffalo Sabres game, you will just see that guy dragging the puck and doing everything himself. Exactly. Like, I think he was in the hunt last I saw, he was in the hundredth percentile for zone exits. Like, cause like, of course he's got to be the one carrying the puck out of the zone too. Like he can't just be an entry wizard. Like he literally has to do everything himself. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, I think eighth is a spot. Again, he's one that I feel like could jump uh, definitely in the next year or two. Um, if, especially if he gets out of that hellhole known as Buffalo, but, um, for now eighth, just with the injury and everything is, um, I got pretty fair. And like, again, like being a top 10 center in the league is a damn impressive thing, especially like this is where we're getting to the real elite of the elite guys. I think like Eichel yeah. for me was a pretty easy eight in terms of the guys ahead of him. I didn't really think I could put behind him, but the guys behind him, I was like, no, Eichel's definitely better than these guys. Yeah, Eichel started that new tier for me where we were at the top of the top, and I think we have the same. Other than Bergeron, yeah. But, yeah, I'm, I'm going to assume we have the top uh, seven, I guess, we're at now here. Um, yeah. So I will go with my seven, and that is Leon Dreisaitl. Okay. I didn't expect to be higher than Dreisaitl. But I just – his defense so is bad. so bad. <laughs> like, so bad, dude. I I don't know. I, I go back and forth. I, I do think there is something to be said that he is probably cheating on um, defense to try and make up for offense because if him and McDavid don't score, literally no one does. But at the same time, like McDavid made up some of his defensive warts this year too, where he was like, he wasn't a Selkie guy or anything, but he was just kind of replacement level, which when you're then he didn't sacrifice any offense for that either. So like I do th- yeah, exactly. So, like, I do think there is another step for Dreisaitl to to take, at least in terms of not being an act, absolute liability defensively. Um, but, yeah, his offense is obviously so good. He's a massive part of re- why that team is even relative half the time. Um, I could see an argument for maybe five, six or seven for him, like just kind of in that tier. I don't think he's I don't think he's a top three guy. I don't I wouldn't have him four, but um, he's definitely in that four to seven range for me. I have four. I had a tough time after the top three. Yeah, I think four to seven. Maybe, you know, now they say I wouldn't have him four. He was definitely in the lower end for me of this tier, but I had four to seven as a pretty distinct tier. Yeah, that's more than fair. I had four to eight putting Eichel in that tier, but. Yeah, and I say, and for me, Eichel, the injury is just what kind of kept him off that tier and that just eight by himself, basically. Yeah, and for the pros of Dreisaitl, I feel like they barely even need to be said. Like, he's just so ridiculously talented offensively that you just got to give you just got to be in awe of it yeah he's just like a magician and like the, the one thing i do want to see is him try and drive his own line a little more often still um yeah. i think i think for that like like it, I, I, I don't want to get too crazy but if he can keep up the offense he put up last year 
um, and just be like, okay, defensively, like there's an argument that he could probably be a number like top three centerman in the league. Um, You would probably need one of the top three guys to take a step back, but he wouldn't be all that far away. Whereas like, I feel like the gap between the top three and anyone at four now is still decently aggressive. Pretty wide. Yeah. Because they're a lot more complete once you get into the top three. The top three yeah. all offer dry sidles offense without being horrific defensively. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, again, love dry sidle and he's one of the only reasons Edmonton is relevant. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if they can find up scoring or, you know, maybe, maybe they put like a Zach Hyman on dry sidles line and he can help him be a little more defensively responsible, but that's definitely the one big thing that needs to improve. Uh, if he wants to take that even one more step further. Yeah. That um, how he gets there. Um, all right, so I have my top five is all that's left. Who do you have at seven? And then we'll go seven first and then six. Um, who do you have at seven? Seven, I have my boy. I got Sid. I have him at four. Okay. He was, that's, yeah. He's still ridiculously good. He's very responsible defensively. He literally does everything well at this point in his career. I just don't think the super high-end offensive upside is as much that – like the turn Connor Sheary into the six best points per 60 in the league is just gone yeah and like so that's why i i don't know maybe i should have banked him a little bit but like i still think if he had like what mcdavid is to dry sidle on the power play in that and like malkin his points would probably still be much better than even they are now and it's not like his points are bad now like i'm pretty sure he was still almost a point he was sixth among centermen over a point per game last year but like i could have like i could easily see if there was a healthy malkin on a power play all year him being like a 75 point guy in 55 games. So um, yeah, like he's still just such an amazing player and it's crazy given his age. Yeah. I wish I put Sid above point for sure, actually. Cause Sid like, and he can clearly, we've seen him do it for so long. It's not like Sid needs a ton of help either. Like just a one man show. If yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Like he just needs someone that's like decent at putting the puck in the net, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Jake Gensel. Yeah, exactly. Good, but not a lead or anything like that. 100%. Um, yeah, no, I, I love Crosby. The fact that he's even still a top five to – or four to seven centerman uh, in today at, like, what – he's got to be, like, 33 now, right? 34 maybe? 34, if I had to guess. 34. He turned 34 a couple days ago, August 7th. So, um, like, the fact that it's 33-year-old season, yeah, he was still, like, a top centerman in the entire league is just so impressive. Um I'm excited to see how long you keep this up for. Yeah, I really hope there's still another couple of years of it. And I hope that the Penguins can stay somewhat relevant because I don't want to see him just dragging along absolute nobodies to like 25th when they should be in 32nd or whatever. Yeah, I would like to see that now. I don't think they are going to stay competitive, but it would be really nice if they did. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, who do you have at six then? I had point. Point, I had him at five. So I had him one spot above you. Um yeah, just uh, I think point again, he's one where it's like I was debating maybe putting him at four, but he just is in such a good position where it's like it's so hard to try. And I mean, he's a massive reason for that, of course, but it's also still just so hard to separate him and his position at some points, you know? Yeah, that's why, because purely results based, you could probably have point four pretty easily because he's like the war numbers and stuff love him. Watching him in the playoffs, like he's been absolutely unreal both times. 
but he's another one. Like I'm very confident Jack Eichel is like a 120 point player. If you flip their positions. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, it's a tough one. Cause it's like, obviously we know and you can't really, it's not his fault. He's playing with good players. Right. Um, so you can't like take too much away from that, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, you can't uh, just lean in and say he's de- definitively like the first or third best guy or whatever, because of this. Yeah. Cause you don't want to go too crazy. Cause there's a lot of credit to be given in Tampa Bay and, yeah, like he obviously does deserve a ton, but you don't want to go too nuts and be like, oh, yeah, he's like the fourth best player in the entire world. Or like last summer and go as far to say, hey, is he better than Connor McDavid? <laughs> yes. That's fucking no at the time. <laughs> that is the exact thing where it's like we were talking about Kalorn earlier where it's like, yeah, Kalorn's thing was like, oh, is he like a legitimate number one Selkie candidate? Where, yeah, Braden Point's thing was, is he the best Canadian centerman <laughs> in the world right now? It's like, no, no, he's not. He's not even top two. Like, yeah. but yeah, um, that, I have like notes beside every player. And my first note beside McDavid was just LOL because what else do you say about McDavid being one? And my second one was remember when we weren't sure if he was as good as Braden point for some reason. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Yeah. People just lost their minds when uh, they just out of sight, out of mind for a couple of weeks. And then people just go insane. Um, uh, Not surprisingly at all. We have the same top three. I'm going to be interested to see what the order is. Um, Give me your three. We might have this, but I have McKinnon. I also have McKinnon. I thought maybe I'd go hot take with Matthews at two, but clearly not. I guess I was talking, I'm talking to a Leafs fan. I should have known. Um, no, I, I think with Matthews, just absolutely insane goal streak this year and just like how well he drove offense and also how solid he was on defense. I think he take and, and his age too. I, I think I projected a forward a little bit with this. He's a couple years younger. Whereas, like, I don't know how much better McKinnon's going to get. I think there might even still be another small step for Matthews to take, which seems crazy. Um, but, yeah, so I think he's just got him edged out. But uh, if someone wanted to tell me McKinnon was two, I would not have a big fight with them on that either. Yeah, if they were super passionate about it, that's fine. But, like, Matthews was the most efi- – he's the most efficient goal scorer in the league. He's probably the best shooter in the league. And we saw him score 40 goals – in like 50 games while hurt this year. Like that's absolutely insane. Yeah, um, absolutely crazy. And then, you know, on McKinnon's side of things, um, I don't want to say he took a step back this year. He It felt like he wasn't talked about quite as much, but he also was the leader on the most dominant analytical team we've seen in like a decade. So um, uh, that's got to be, there's got to be credit given there, I think as well, right? Like he's still absolutely freaking amazing, of course. Oh yeah, there's a reason when you do these top 10 lists, pretty much everybody who pays a lot of attention to the NHL and doesn't, isn't just trying to fuck with Leafs fans will have the same top three. Yeah. I think, you know, you're just not paying attention to hockey. If you don't have the same top three now, Um, maybe you like overvalue really value dry points or something like that. Like I know after last year, dry heart season last year, people were like really aggressively leaning into the, um, Oh, well, look at how many points Dreisaitl had thing. But um, yeah, no, I think it's very obvious that uh, there's a clear top one. Two and three are very, very, very close. You can kind of go either way. Uh, and then it's kind of the rest of the pack at this point. Yeah, they just completely lapped everyone else. And um, yeah, sorry, Oilers fans. But uh, like, what is there to say here with number one? Shockingly, it is Connor McDavid. Uh, I like... I always feel bad because so 
for years as a Sens fan, this happened to me with Eric Carlson, where it was like, it would be the classic, like Andrew Berkshire would join the PDO cast and they'd always do their, um, their breakdowns. Right. Yeah. And every year they would spend, I would listen. I'm like, don't get me wrong. The whole podcast was awesome. Super informative and everything. But every year it would be like an hour and 10 minutes of talking just to get to Eric Carlson. I'm like, yes, they get to praise Eric Carlson. And they talk about it for like 60 seconds. Cause they're like, dude, what is there to say that everyone doesn't know by now? This guy is just an absolute beast. And that is exactly what Connor McDavid is, but even more aggressively. Yeah, it's, I remember those because Andrew was always really cool because he had the sport logic data. So his list would be way different than public perception, especially around the like 20 range. Yeah. And then, yeah, they get to the top and it was just like, oh, yeah, Carlson's just Carlson. And it was like, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. And, and that's exactly what it's like with McDavid. It's like literally, like, yeah, you can do it with Finn too. Yeah, I remember that. It's just like, yeah, they're, they're just better than everyone else, and literally everyone knows it. Like nobody even tries to hot take otherwise. No, and like when they do, they just end up looking stupid. Like the as Sid passed the baton onto Giroux or whatever the hell that was. Exactly. Like so. Yeah, like I, I don't know. I, I feel bad. Like it, it, being someone who's gone through it, I know I feel bad. But at least we got like uh, we we talked about Drysaddle as well. Because the thing with Ottawa is they would never have another player on that list because Mark Stone wasn't good enough yet. Yeah, yeah, he might have been like the low on the wingers list or whatever. But I yeah, so McDavid, go ahead. Like I think the is McDavid better than point question mark stuff that brought up last summer came from like sort of a fundamental misunderstanding about being the best player in the world. Like Sidney Crosby was the best player in the world for 15 years, but he didn't like lead the league in war every given year. He was just in the top like 10 every year for 15 years and no one else could stay like hang with him for that long. And I, it wouldn't shock me if McDavid ends up doing something similar where like next year he's only second in the league in war or whatever, but like he's still just the best player in the world because the year after he'll probably be first. Yeah, it's the ability to always be top five or whatever, right? Like, exactly. it doesn't mean you always have to be one. Now, granted, I think there is also something to being one at least once, where it's like if someone's yeah. always just four, it's like, okay, they're probably just constantly the fourth best player in the world. But, yeah, it, it's the ability that, like, on any given year you can be one, but on the years you're not one, you're six or whatever, not, like, 22nd like any normal person would be. Exactly. Like, say next year – Marner shoots like 17% because he gets really lucky. Like Matthews will probably be top of the war leaderboard then. But like yep. then the year after, like McDavid will still be the most likely bet because he is the best player in the world, even though on any given year, he's probably not going to be because it's tough to be literally better than everyone else on earth. Yeah. The other thing I think is just like, it's just pure boredom of not getting to watch Connor McDavid when it means the most where it's like McDavid was out of sight, out of mind for months at that point, And, Point was just going on a dominant playoff run with a dominant team that, you know, felt inevitable that they were going to win, you know, like it, as soon as they got past Columbus again in that for, and even then, like it never really felt like they were going to lose to Columbus, but as soon as they just steamrolled Columbus in that first round, it was like, yeah, these guys aren't losing. And I think they had what a six game series against the Isles, a five game series against whoever they had in round two and a six game series against Dallas, none of which they ever were trailing. I don't think in the series either. So yeah, they're so clearly better than everyone else. But yeah, um, well, that's our list. I hope everyone enjoyed. Uh, we'll be back at you next week with probably the wingers. I think we'll go wingers D and then goalie. Uh, so I hope you guys all enjoy. Let us know what uh, we're absolutely stupid about, where you would have people who are not too high, too low. Um, 
You can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff and Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66. Uh, thank you everyone for listening and we'll talk to you all next week.